0: Christy Bilbrey. Right after college, I started my career in a Senate press office and then the White House. For the next seven years, I worked in corporate marketing before starting my own business. As soon as I did, the one thing I realized that none of those experiences taught me was how to market myself. Promoting yourself can mess with your head. Discovering brand storytelling and learning how to put it to work in my messaging saved my business. Once I learned this, I started teaching other business owners how to put it to work in their business as well. I created the Business That Story Built podcast to help strengthen the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell others. Audiences crave the human side of businesses. They want to get to know you, follow you and interact with you outside of the buying experience. This can be intimidating to say the least. If you're ready to take your mindset and your messaging to the next level, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Thank you for joining today. We're continuing in the PR series. And today we're discussing relationship management and crisis management. Those are terms that you may hear a lot in PR, but you may not know exactly what those entail. So I'm really excited to get into those details with you today with our guest. Pat Ford is a professional in residence at the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications. He teaches courses in corporate reputation, crisis communications, and corporate communication essentials. Pat joined the University of Florida from Burson-Marsteller, where he was most recently worldwide vice chair and chief client officer. During his 29 years at the firm, he also served as US CEO, Asia Pacific chair, global corporate chair, and US corporate practice chair. Pat specializes in corporate reputation management, senior executive communications, media strategy, and crisis management. His clients have included world-class companies in the automotive, energy, express delivery services, financial services, food and beverage, management consulting, pharmaceutical tech, and telecom industries. Before joining Burson Marceller, he served as vice president for external affairs at the American Enterprise Institute for Public Policy Research, following a brief career as a journalist. He also serves on the board of trustees for the Institute of Public Relations and on the board of the Museum of Public Relations. Pat received the Institute of Public Relations Alexander Hamilton Medal, its highest award, which honors PR professionals who've made major contributions to the practice of public relations. He's received the Plank Center's Milestones and Mentoring Legacy Award, and PR Week presented him with their Diversity, Distinction, and PR Award. So, Pat, thank you so much for joining today.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Christy.
0: Absolutely. Well, I just want to dive right in. And I think a, a good place to start is just defining how do you define reputation management for PR?
1: Reputation management, first of all, for corporations, large, small, for profit, nonprofit, uh, or other institutions, is increasingly recognized as an essential element of business success and business sustainability. So it, at one time, maybe that was thought of as soft, uh, intangible asset or, or a soft um, uh, practice, but increasingly companies are recognizing that they must build meaningful relationships with their key stakeholders, not just their shareholders, not just their funders, uh, but also their employees, crucially important, um, their customers, their suppliers, the communities where they operate, and the broader community, the planet, um, which increasingly uh, is a, a key element of of uh, business reputation, and so for companies, it's in, it, it's really important to recognize that uh, that th- many of these stakeholders, as we call them, uh, uh, really identify with their with their relationship with that company, whether they're buying products from it, or working for them, or uh, or employing them. Uh, and or having them in the community where they affect the local em- economy and the local environment. And so um, so a couple of, of of longtime public relations professionals turned academics, John Dorley and Fred Garcia, came up with a great uh, equation for for how to manage reputation. And that's okay. the, the equation is R equals P plus B plus C times AF. And it's not the AF you might be thinking <laughs> And so, reputation R um, equals P performance. Are you delivering what you say your company is about, what you say your mission is, uh, and how are you performing against that? And how effectively are you delivering products, services, and whatever else you're promising? So, p- performance plus B behavior. Are you are you doing that ethically, legally, morally, which are three different things, uh, and are you upholding principles? that reflect what you say your values and your purpose are. Uh, And then the other part of that equation is C, communication. Are you being transparent or at least as transparent as you can be in the the performance of your business? But also, are you listening? Communication is a 360 degree um, proposition. So are you listening to your stakeholders? Are you uh, considering their aspirations and concerns and... Uh, desires with respect to your business, uh, and then you add those three together, and then there's a multiplier effect, and that's the AF authenticity authenticity factor. Is it real? Is is are these just slogans you're putting on a wall somewhere, or are they um, genuine and authentic? And that comes in the in the in the the when the when the rubber meets the road, right? When or when when frankly, when a problem arises. Uh, which is where crisis communication comes in as a, as a, as a crucial element of reputation management. That's such our- a
0: great way to consider it. I think that's a really good comprehensive approach to think about reputation management. So I like that you had mentioned in our call that we had previously, I really liked uh, an example that you gave in terms of taking the, that it really does matter, these efforts matter. And you had this comparison of a kitchen sink and a reservoir that I think really kind of brings this to life for people. So maybe you can share a little bit about, about that and how people can can picture this.
1: Sure. So, um, so think of reputation as an asset, just like a financial asset or other kinds of assets. Um, and so what a company should be doing, even a startup company, this is where, you know, sometimes startups and And relatively young companies, frankly, sometimes like relatively young people, they're focused on their own growth and their own um, uh, uh, idea for their business. They got fire in their belly about what they want to do. And they may not be looking at, you know, how they come across to and how they affect those around them. Uh, and um so it's very important that they start that right at the beginning and throughout, no matter how popular the company is, I think we've seen recent examples of where you know among the top corporate brands in the world can still run into problems when when people perceive that they're doing something different from what their their stated purpose and values are. So what what that what, what the reservoir example that I'm talking about there is over time companies should be could be constantly um filling this reservoir of goodwill if you will. Filling this reservoir of concrete examples uh, and experiences that their various stakeholders have with them that demonstrate their purpose and their values and their and their uh, integrity, uh, and um, and when they don't, then they're just filling a little kitchen sink. And uh, what happens is when a crisis arises, um, just think of you know taking that reservoir versus the kitchen sink, and taking just one cup of water. Uh, and if I poured this cup of water into the kitchen sink and this water was contaminated, that water in the sink would be ruined. And right. it would be, forget about it. It's, in many cases, you're going to be out of business. The, the, you'll have to drain the uh, the sink. If I toss this into a great big reservoir um, and and even if it was a contaminated uh, cup of water, the chances are the local environment in that reservoir would contain that, or you can easily contain it, so that it doesn't poison the rest of the reservoir. And that reservoir would be the goodwill that a company can maintain. And this is why you see companies that some companies that experience crises, and they actually come out of it stronger, or they at least come out of it with minimal long term damage, because they've demonstrated time and again, that they do the right thing, that they that they're, um, that they're, that they're following a set of ethics or principles. Um, the most famous corporate set of principles is the Johnson and Johnson credo, and, which has been around for, since for, for almost as long as the company has existed, with only a few changes over the years uh, to reflect certain changes in society. But um, but but every time they're making decisions, business decisions, not just when a problem arises. I mean, any business decision there and i i can tell you this because i've consulted with them over the years in the u.s in europe in asia and i've seen it time and again they always are thinking is this consistent with our credo and is this something that we could feel is 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 uh, appropriate within the bounds of our credo if a company hasn't established something quite like that i like to think of looking at uh, a, a set of principles that the page society which is the probably the most consequential of the trade organizations in the communications field. Um, they are. They pulled together a set of principles some years ago that every one of my students that's learning about crisis communications and corporate reputation has to, by the time that semester is done, be able to roll those off mm-hmm. in in order and correctly. And those are the page principles are tell the truth, prove it with action, listen to your stakeholders, manage for tomorrow as opposed to short term let's get this out of the you know sw- swept away um, conduct public relations as if the whole enterprise depends on it which it does Love whether it. You know or not. Uh, remember that the true character of an enterprise is reflected in its people and then the, the last of them is communicate uh, transparently authentically and with good humor um, and good humor one has to be careful about in crisis situations but get <laughs> the idea in other words you're not going to get anywhere by by reacting angrily and um and um and picking fights with other companies or with your stakeholders and so um so basically uh this is how i think is as, as you're preparing your crisis plan you should be thinking about all the things that could go wrong what are the most likely of those things that could go wrong even in the midst of things that are going well, and then um, make sure you're ready if they do go wrong. And that's where uh, the perhaps most important part of crisis communication management is the pre-crisis phase. Um, And just remember that the pre-crisis phase isn't just when the problem arose, the pre-crisis phase is life. It's business, it's ongoing business. It's every day, every day crisis management should be a a, a, 24 seven, 365 uh, operation that is you're constantly ready because if you're not, then you're not gonna be ready to respond or or address and communicate with your stakeholders when the problem arises. Yeah, that's gonna create a void. And when you have that void, it'll be filled in ways that are not beneficial to you or your stakeholders.
0: That brings up a good point which leads into the essentials of crisis management planning. So when before there's an issue in advance um and, and you know some of this may vary from small companies to large more established companies but what would you say are the essentials to consider when creating a a crisis management plan before there's is an issue?
1: Sure. So um, so first of all, uh, think of it as, as again, that planning process as being an ongoing, never-ending process. Years ago, uh, there wasn't. we didn't think of it that way. When I first got into business, we would prepare a crisis communication manual for a company, and they would then put that on a shelf somewhere, and when the problem arose, they'd pull out the manual <laughs> and they'd work from it. Uh, but in today's world, and especially since social media came around and especially since real time social media meaning like twitter uh and right now, um uh where where think where the the need for speed is greater than ever because uh, by the time you even know a problem exists at headquarters it's very possible that there are news crews at your front gate or um or it's already appearing and viral in um social media so so that the 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 first part is to just commit yourself as a company as an enterprise to that management process uh, and having somebody managing that management that crisis management process uh, and that's by the way consistent with what companies do in their operations anyway. Uh, believe me when I tell you because I I've worked with as you as you wheeled off at the beginning of this, I've worked with a lot of industries and they have crisis plans and business. Continuity plans for their operations. If they're a manufacturing company or a uh, or whatever whatever business they're in, they 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 know that. And increasingly, they recognize they also need to have a a, a ready to use crisis plan for uh, communications. And so you think of it in three phases, Christy. Uh, the first phase is pre crisis, which again is um, life. Uh, the second is uh, managing the crisis itself. Because the communications that happen then can often be different from typical ongoing uh, go-to-market, you know, a promotion of your company or promotion of products. In fact, sometimes it's a good idea to suspend some of that promotional stuff while you're in the middle of a crisis. Uh, That's another issue. And then the third phase is uh, the post-crisis, where you first of all demonstrate to your stakeholders that you have indeed defined the problem correctly corrected it and that you've got uh, procedures and steps in place to if not pr- a, a guaranteed that it won't happen again at least to minimize the chances that it might happen again and to show that you're ready for that if it does and then the second part is of, post, of post-crisis is and equally important is rebuilding your reputation uh, mm-hmm. something just happened that that's called into question your brand before
0: uh, and, we go into that just in terms of creating that pre-plan who should be involved in creating and reviewing that plan what types of voices and and minds should should be involved in that process
1: the best practices in that are to have a crisis management team okay. so that's that's usually um uh, for the for the communication part of it that would often be led by the head of public relations or head, or head of Uh, somebody involved in corporate communications for the company Uh, and but then that that on that crisis management team there needs to be somebody from operations and those the people on this crisis management team need to need to have that clear-cut responsibility that when something arises that and and the crisis is declared is is recognized that that team's going to come together in some way either virtually or in, in person at headquarters so somebody from operations and they should be senior enough to speak for that of the operational area um, and not necessarily the CEO at that stage. This crisis management team reports into the CEO, but they need to be able to work together quickly and, and cohesively. Uh, and, um, and so in addition to the operations, you have legal, the general counsel or, or representative of the general counsel, uh, finance and, 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 and the, the, the folks that deal with uh, with investors and, and the, the funding sources. Um, the uh, social media, somebody running the social media aspects of it, um, the um, human resources, because your employees, your employees are crucially important in a crisis. And I think, again, the best companies are increasingly recognizing that. Uh, my old mentor, Harold Burson, our founder of the firm I worked in for many years, used to say that your employees are somebody's best expert on your company. And they're mm-hmm. either your greatest ambassador or your fiercest critic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they become your fiercest critic if they feel that you're not being straight with them that they're not being informed about what's going on uh th- in, in the appropriate way uh and that that they that they that you haven't filled that reservoir of goodwill with them so right. they believe that their company uh, would never be doing some of the things that that maybe uh people might accuse them of uh and so hr is extremely important in that and then there are others security um um very often the uh not only the security for operations but um, cyber security because you mm-hmm. know some aspects of these may may either start as or or evolve into uh, cyber um, crises. Uh, so there's the chief information officer uh, or the representative uh, and in many companies they now have what they call chief information security officer. So having a, a comprehensive team like that, and those aren't full-time jobs are they they're in those operations. They're just they're just know they need to be ready to jump in and be part of that that team that 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 gathers quickly to deal with the crisis. Um, so that's the crisis management team. And then what you do is you you train them, um, you put them through um, a crisis simulation, uh, which can start out as a desktop what we call a desktop simulation where you, 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 you show them how a, a crisis might unfold, so that they get accustomed to how they're going to deal with those questions and who they're going to be seeking information from and then very often uh, companies will then do an actual crisis simulation where both operation side and communication side are simulating a real disaster and um and then everybody gets a better idea of of how to develop that muscle memory for dealing with that when it actually occurs and let me just make one point about the importance of that christy it it's so difficult when the crisis arises because very often when it happens, number one, it's usually marked by in, inadequate information or incorrect information. Um, a, a, an old mentor of mine who had come out of the Pentagon used to say, um, used to quote the generals that he worked with at the Pentagon who said, never totally trust the first reports from the field because mm. they're often just, you know, rumors or or uh speculation or whatever. So uh that's one of the challenges when you get in that when you when that first arises, sometimes you're freezing because you're not sure what's actually happened and you don't want to be out there talking and that's you don't you really don't want to be out there uh, issuing statements that are incorrect. Right. But at the same time that need to to reassure people you're on top of it, to express some concern for anybody affected by it, that's still there. Uh and uh so so as much as you can do ahead of time to anticipate what might arise. Mm-hmm. So that's why you go through what we call a vulnerability assessment and, you know, look at uh, what, are, what are three or four or five or six scenarios that could cause a real crisis in your business in one way or another. Uh, and then develop some contingency plans around those. Even develop some statements that you could use or adapt at the time so that there's, there's, you're not just starting from scratch when the when the crisis occurs. Um, and um And because when it occurs, in addition to the inadequate information, the other things that characterize it are anger, for, <laughs> sure, anger at some at somebody for how it came up, and a lot of times you, you, uh, denial. You you really don't want to believe that this is really a crisis, uh, and so there's uh, there's that playing out. And then there's often you're invariably they happen at really bad times. So they come uh, Friday night, just as you're heading into a holiday weekend, or it's a holiday time, or you know it's something where you've been planning a big launch of a new product or or some other thing. Not always, but a lot of times these things occur at in inopportune times, and that that really wants you to you know pretend that it's not as bad as it is, or or try and do a quick fix that you can put put it behind you. So let's say if you're in, there, I had one client that was in the retail business where they had a potential crisis arise right at the beginning of Christmas shopping season. And it was hard. It was hard for them to make some decisions about what they needed to do with that because, because the, the, the Christmas season was everything to them. Um, sure. there, there are different variations of that. So um, so create that crisis management team, train them, select who is gonna speak for the company when this arises. So you, you plan that out in advance. And that usually needs to be somebody in the communications team, but also somebody in management of the company. Have some point of view on if or when you're gonna roll out the CEO, because you wanna be careful. It's 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 important for the company, for, for the stakeholders to hear from the top management. On the other hand, it's important that that you're doing that at the right timing with the CEO, because if that doesn't go well with her, then there's not many places to go beyond the CEO. So you've got to find the right timing and so on and and who's going to be the best spokesperson. And then um and then have as much prepared as you can in advance, recognizing that it's probably going to be different when it occurs and you'll you but you can adapt it then and, and as opposed to starting from scratch. Does that make sense?
0: Wait. Yeah, and when we spoke earlier, I I really love this example that you gave of a company who did this well, who went through a crisis and actually came out ahead, which was dominoes. And so I wonder if you can just share maybe a couple, two, three points about how they how they manage that well from from just some of the things that you've mentioned in terms of a lot of companies will go into denial and these different things. What did they do differently that is a good example to others?
1: Well, um, so so one thing about it is when when it first occurred, it was a challenge for them because this was one of those ones where this was right in the um, it was the, the situation was a um, a couple of their employees of of a franchisees employees in uh, one of their franchises in North Carolina. Did a crazy, stupid, I- irresponsible, um, probably criminal um, video that they posted on YouTube of them desecrating the, the product and making jokes about it. And, you know, and I'm not even going to describe because it was disgusting what they were doing to this food. Uh, and um, and the problem for the company was at the point where they learned about this at headquarters, it already had 250,000 views on mm. on YouTube. And within a day, it had a million views on YouTube. And so they did a lot of the right things right in the beginning of it, but it wasn't immediately having an impact because um, because it was um, it was just hard to picture you know how a company can control that or t- so that it doesn't happen, and so they were expressing concern and, and and various other things, and what happened is they put some things in place to deal with that, and they were noticing that it still wasn't having the the right effect, and that's not uncommon. I've I've worked and 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 seen and come in at, at, the, at the back end of various crises where companies were doing the, the, the right logical thing, but you've got to be ready to do some research too. And just almost in effect ask their stakeholders, what is it going to take for you to believe we've solved this problem? Uh, and um, and in effect, that's what they started to do. But 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 what it also happened when they, what also happened was when they started doing that research. Not when they started, but when they, they did some of that research to really dig down and what was what was preventing these corrective measures from taking hold. What they found was people had kind of grown tired of the product. Uh and uh and to their credit, they faced that head on. So they 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 did it. they did what they called the great pizza turnaround campaign, <laughs> where they basically uh brought in a team of, uh, of their for their from their food. Quality folks to basically take a fresh look at their formula for their at their for their recipe for their for the pizza for their products, and they did focus groups with a, with a lot of their loyal customers, who were basically saying, you know, I feel like the the, the crust is uh, cardboard and the sauce tastes like uh, ketchup or uh, so various other things. So what what's Domino's did is they took the video of that of those focus groups and put it online, and they said we recognize that mm-hmm. we haven't taken a fresh look at our product lately and we and we we're, we're turning it upside down they they changed the the uh, the um uh, the Talk about
0: transparency people.
1: yes and and they and they did a lot of this with a running stream of comments uh, on, wow. the, on the brave uh, yes <laughs> and um and and they had video of their chefs going to the homes of the people who participated in the in the uh, uh focus groups and saying we, we heard you say that the, that the our crust tastes like cardboard and one of them turns to them and says, I didn't know you were I did say that, but I didn't know you were listening <laughs> and uh, and and what they did with each of them at the, they went to their homes and with a pizza and gave them a, a couple slices to taste say what do you think and um and then then did high fives when the people uh said this tastes great uh, and so, after this, uh, the original crisis occurred, and the, the 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 bounce back wasn't happening immediately. They were seeing some of their sales decrease. They were they were they were getting some dissatisfaction from their franchisees. Their stock price dropped down to to um, some significant, really low level, like a few dollars a share. Uh, and they started this process. They hit this head on, and there was a great. There's a great video of of. Um, Stephen Colbert, back when he was doing that sort of um, um, program on on the Comedy Channel, where he where he said uh, where, he, where he was commending um, um, the the this company the, the, that company for uh, for having the meatballs to to admit <laughs> that their product sucks uh, and uh, and doing something about it, and so that's maybe where some of that humor comes in in um, mm-hmm. when you're dealing with a crisis. And what happened is, not just because of that that process, but but from from putting some real fresh um, uh, approach into their into their product and, 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 and listening to, to feedback from the customers, and being one of the real leaders in the early adoption of um, of those great uh, apps to, to order food because they've got one of the best. Um, in, the, in the course of the 2010s, their stock price rose at levels comparable to the top tech companies like wow apple and and facebook and so on and um and it went from a few dollars a share up to like 200 dollars a share wow um and and it still is the company is still doing great and they still have that kind of um you know we're, we're going to take a really fresh look at this they they just did a whole series of things on um on some new products they're doing that has similar feel to it so mm-hmm. um so a lot of times it, it's it's um, even if the, the first approach you take doesn't turn it around right away, um, trying some different things and especially doing the right kind of research, values-based research to really hear what your uh, what your stakeholders, especially your customers, are saying about that. Um, if I could quickly just add, yeah, I in please. Johnson and Johnson earlier the the, the standard for this um, coming out better than. Than you did, did before was the the Tylenol recall in the early 80s. So mm-hmm. that was before social media, but still it was it was something where they, they you know they, they, there was contamination of their product. Somebody it wasn't it wasn't a uh, a um, uh, it wasn't something from their manufacturing. It was a, a contamination. It was product tampering, and um, they could have just tried to you know uh, circle the wagons and and deal with it as a local issue somewhere. They ended up recalling doing a whole global recall on the product that cost them hundreds of millions of dollars uh and the and their ceo at the time james burke made the point that to do something other than that would have been contrary to our j and j grado and that was resonant not only with customers but really with employees as well and And then what they did in the process in their post crisis corrective actions they literally changed the way people think about and buy over-the-counter drugs in other words they they stopped using soft capsules for over-the-counter medication like Tylenol and others they put much more protective uh, packaging wrapping around that so it's making it more tamper proof uh, from from the way it was and they more or less by doing that forced their, all of their competitors to incur the same cost because once J&J came out with a better way of, of protecting consumer safety um, everybody else was forced to do that so and, sword. and that's not to say they haven't had other crises in the meantime with, with some other issues, but every time they do, they, they keep that sense of responsibility in mind. That's a good model for other companies to think about.
0: Anything that you think is really critical that we haven't touched on either in that crisis or post-crisis phase that's important for companies to think about?
1: Yes. The, um, the the other part is uh, the there's a te- there's a temptation to kind of rush to declare the crisis is over um, and there's a famous public policy equivalent of that which was somewhere in around 2004 where President Bush you might remember mm-hmm. went on an aircraft carrier with a big banner behind him saying mission accomplished Oh yeah. We're making it implying that the war in Iraq and Afghanistan was over. Which still went on for about you know whatever it was 19 more years, uh, um, being being careful to make sure that you have actually clearly defined what the problem is, uh, that you've communicated that effectively, that you've um, that you've um, made clear what what steps you've taken that that are going to be different from before. Sometimes that's just new procedures. Sometimes it's you're changing suppliers. Sometimes you're changing how you your quality control measures. Sometimes you're bringing in a third party to to do a, a very thorough review. That that happens a lot of times where they'll bring in a former government official or or um, somebody that's not just a paid employee of the company. Um, but no, is making sure that you really addressed uh, the corrective actions and 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 that your stakeholders. Um, uh, are aligned with that. That that that's a good solution. And then basically um, um, proceeding with uh, the reputation rebuilding, uh, which might be um, it might be in communications, it might be in how you engage, it might be setting up new kinds of uh, of interactive um, uh, focus, you know, uh, uh, advisory groups or whatever. Uh, but uh, that very often that post crisis phase is one that is underestimated in its importance.
0: Yeah, no, I I believe that, and I think it is. It's so easy to think, oh, okay, this was the problem as we understood it, we addressed it, we're done, without thinking, taking into account what does everybody else think who saw that and may not feel that way. So I I really like that that it's it's kind of, it's going out and and doing that research the way the dominoes did see okay why something isn't clicking what isn't working before they say you know stamp that we're all done
1: right so one if we have time there's one other uh, important yeah please please. the question of apologies of yes the um there's there's um there's always a pressure so particularly when when a crisis occurs what media and some other um uh, Third-party groups, uh, uh, consumer advocates, or patient advocates, or others, are often looking for are the victims, and they want they mm-hmm. want to tell the the stories that, that that are very often emotional of the victims of a crisis, and then they want to find the villains. So who is at fault in this, and who when were they warned, and what did they disregard or whatever else, uh, and uh, and and in the process, um, there's there's often uh, a pressure on on a company. To get out there and apologize for uh, for creating this problem, or 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 promising to pay for corrective actions, and very often though that pressure comes way before the company or anybody else really knows whether it was indeed the company's fault, um, or or whether the problem was what it seemed at first. And so um, I think the you know really important um, judgment that that crisis management team and top management. Uh, really need to do in consultation as as much as possible with their stakeholders is um, is um, be ready to express empathy uh, and concern for people that are affected by something even if it even if you already know it's not your fault or if you haven't yet figured out whose fault it is in other words uh, an explosion happened it may be that it was something that was improperly done at your business or it may be that something happened in nature that caused that explosion sure. and it couldn't have been avoided it was it, it was it was an act of God or whatever um here's the thing very often companies will in, in in different situations they'll they'll say listen this is not our fault uh or you know we're we're doing everything properly or um or they'll they'll be looking for they're saying we're they'll say we're as much a victim as everybody else mm-hmm. that may be true but um but here's I, here's what my experience and my firms, my old firms' experience and and research has shown over the years, that even if if stakeholders don't view you as the root of the problem, and they may and and there may be correct, you may be correct that you're not the root of the problem. It's your it's it's something happening under the auspices of your company. It's happening to them because of their relationship with you, however deep or right. shallow that is, uh, and uh, and it's connected in some way to your corporate brand. And so even if they don't think you're the root of the problem, they expect you to be the root of the solution. And if you're not prepared to do that, then they're going to go find somebody who will. And again, it's probably not going to be to your benefit. Uh, And so so be ready to be out there even if you don't know for sure what's happened and you mm-hmm. believe your lawyers are going to be telling you don't get out there apologizing or taking responsibility cuz we don't know yet that we're responsible and they're worried about you know litigation and so on understandably you still can be out there and and showing human empathy and uh, concern and responsibility uh, and 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 committing to getting to the bottom of it and uh, and fulfilling that following up on it, proving it with action uh, and um and then if and when it does turn out to be your responsibility be ready to then be ready to be to, to do an apology um but um but it's one of those kind of misunderstood things it's it's the 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 um the the sense of accountability and responsibility is very important the, the concern for those affected by it, whether you caused it or not Very important, but finding the right judgment on how to do that can often be crucially important uh, and difficult in that fog of crisis. In the fog of crisis, just like the fog of war, things aren't always what they seem. Mm -hmm. Information is coming from many different sources who may or may not know what they're talking about. And stakeholders will sometimes listen to other voices that really don't know what they're talking about but sound like they do. Uh, and so it's, it's a real challenge. And I think it's, it's manageable, but it's, it's one where you've got to have some people to have some experience and recognizing that um, the way that plays out.
0: I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think it is almost instinctive now to want to just apologize, but you're right. You can, you can be involved with people who are affected by it without before you really know just to say, we're here with you. Tell us what's going on. We want to hear from you. I think that's so smart. And I'm I'm really glad that you included that because that is something that I think people make assumptions about instead of really seeing that. Because just like you said, there's so much going on. There's confusion. Tension is high. Emotions are everywhere. It's hard to keep a level head and just say, we need to Hang on, we aren't going to hide, and we aren't going to act like you know we're not a part of this at all. But we're just going to say we're in this community. We're all in this figuring this out. So that was that and, was great.
1: And I think increasingly people recognize that um, um, the tragedy in Uvalde, uh, which had many different elements to it, um, with the shootings of those school schoolchildren, um, um, was so so horrific. But um, but uh, one of the things that was very clear, and I think very clear to a lot of the local community, and very clear to at some point with the national community, was that the um, and maybe because it was a small town, and maybe because it was a you know a, 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 a small school district, and and some overlap between state and local uh, authority or whatever whatever the reasons, there was a there was a big delay in getting information and and a lot of incorrect information. You'll remember that there was. Uh, uh the the first the first uh, early parts of it were talking about some uh you know some some at the school um trying to prevent the shooter from getting into the building and so on and um and turned out that whole incident they had to admit a day or two later. that actually never happened uh, and um and uh, it was unclear who was re- responsible for what and um. The typical corporation is not going to face something quite like that, but th- in some ways, the um, the the that um, at, at least being ready to um, to know and and do some preparation ahead of time on what kinds of response you might have in the face of several different scenarios, including a worst case scenario, mm-hmm. which there can be there can be a worst case scenario. So what what happens then? and who's in charge of that and who's connecting with who making sure you have your contact information in place for all the various aspects of the of your business and the community and so on uh, is so crucially important uh, and if if you're not if it's it's hard it's hard especially for smaller companies they don't have big budgets they're, they're not built they're not, they haven't been around for a while where they've where they've got departments that are doing these things and um and it, it, it's 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 like the difficulty of buying an insurance policy. It's you, you may never actually need to make a claim on that insurance, and meanwhile yeah. you're paying a whole lot of money for it. But um, but boy, when you when the when you do need it, um, it sure is a good thing you invested in that one, you know, when ahead of time. Uh, and that's really what crisis planning is. It's an insurance policy that that you've got at least some idea that you're not in the in the midst of that uh, highly charged immediate aftermath of a crisis uh, occurring yes. uh, uh that you're not starting from scratch then and who's doing what to who uh and uh for whom and so um so um, it's I think uh I, I what I what I often say to uh executives who are talking about this is if you haven't if you haven't refreshed your crisis plan, uh, at least once in the past year, it's probably obsolete. Uh, it's, I mean, things are changing that rapidly. Um, mm-hmm. now with AI and deep fakes and, uh, so readily, right. um, possible, uh, you, that, that need for preparation and speed is, is greater than ever, but it's not just speed for its own sake, because if right. you're rushing out with wrong information or, um, or making promises that you can't keep, um, um it's um it can be really um it can be catastrophic it's a difference between um catastrophe versus um demonstrating the real metal of your company and um and, and maybe even coming out stronger
0: pat thank you so much you did such an incredible job breaking this down for my listeners reputation management crisis management Just really good perspective of things to start thinking about if you haven't gone down that path and even if you have, maybe some things to revisit. So thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it.
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you, Christy.
0: And for those of you listening, I hope you enjoyed it and that you have a great week. To succeed in business, you need brand awareness, authority, and trust. To get those, you need visibility podcasts offer each of these. It's a unicorn platform because it gives you the scarcest resource in digital marketing, attention. Did you know that 80% of podcast audiences listen to the entire episode and more than 50% consider buying from a brand or individual that they discover on a podcast? Building your own show and audience takes years. Grow faster by guest speaking on other podcasts to get more leads, build your SEO, and strengthen your brand. To learn how my agency can help, email me at hello at